The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, The Vengeance of Pinamon. the Glenn Miller story and it's one of my favourites but the moment it depicts is pure Hollywood as the motor of a V1 flying bomb cuts out during a war concert in London. In the eerie silence as the bomb falls the audience takes cover but the band plays on only to have the bomb explode at the perfect moment to punctuate the score. However in the real world, the terror that these weapons wreaked upon the brave people of London during the final months of the Second World War was only too real. The V1 has history with my family, since the large oak door to my family home was made from the remnants of a Kentish barn from my grandfather's farm that was blown up by a flying bomb during the war. It was as early as 1940 that the Nazi forces projected the need for a new generation of weapon to use against their enemies. They were to be called the Wunderwaffen, the super weapons or wonder weapons of Nazi Germany. The proposal came about as a counter to the relative failure of the Baedeker raids, the blitz that was conducted against the major cities of England. The effectiveness of British defences, particularly the RAF's night fighter capability, were causing unacceptable losses for little material gain, so new weapons were needed, and Pienemund, on the edge of the Baltic Sea, was chosen as the location for a secret base, the Pienemund Army Research Centre. Back in 1936, the Aviation Ministry paid 750,000 Reichmarks to the town of Vulgast, for the whole northern peninsula of the Baltic island of Eustom. An airfield and research centre were built and, over time, some of the most brilliant minds in Germany were sent there to work for the Nazi war machine. The technological leaps that the scientists of Pienemann made would stun the world, and by the end of the war they were well on their way to developing an intercontinental ballistic missile for use against the United States of America. Vergeltenschwaff Ein, in English, Vengeance One, or more simply the V-1, was one of the first weapons to come from Pienemund. It was an early form of cruise missile and designed for the terror bombing of London. The Argus Motoran Company had experience in developing remote-controlled surveillance aircraft, and by the beginning of the war they had a proposal for a remote aircraft that could carry a 1,000 kilogram, that's 2,200 pound payload, a distance of 500 kilometers, 310 miles. A meeting with Ernst Udet, the Luftwaffe Director General of Equipment, was not successful since the remote control system was seen as a major design flaw, but the company continued to develop the project as a manned aircraft. 
The technical director of Heinkel assisted in the design and the prototype production, and from their endeavours came the Feisler FI-103. The aircraft had a simple design, a welded sheet steel ogival-shaped fuselage with short straight wings made from plywood. It was just over 8 metres, 27 feet long, and weighed a little over 2 metric tonnes, that's around 4,700 pounds. The wingspan was around 5.5 metres, 17 feet, however it could carry a warhead of 850 kilograms, which is nearly 2,000 pounds. Its range, though, was quite limited, just 250 kilometres, 160 miles. However, it could cruise at 400 miles an hour, flying between two and 3,000 feet. What made the machine all the more remarkable was the power plant, a pulse jet. Mounted in a pod on top of the tail, the engine, which used a resonant combustion, was first conceived in 1864 with both a Russian and a Swede claiming to have invented the concept. What made this type of engine attractive for the creators of the V1 was its simplicity, low cost, excellent thrust-to-weight ratio, and the fact that it could be run on almost anything that would burn, such as sawdust or coal powder. In practice, the V1 used low-grade petrol. The principle of the pulse jet is so simple, it's one of the few that can be easily described without the aid of a pitcher. Air is drawn into the intake and through simple one-way valves. It's then mixed with an aerosol of petrol that is ignited by a simple automotive spark plug. The burning fuel expands, and because the increasing pressure closes the one-way valves, the only way out is through the exhaust, thereby providing thrust. The V1's Argus engine attained a stable resonance frequency of 43 cycles per second, which gave it the distinctive and very loud buzzing sound. It was this noise that led to the V1 to be called the buzz bomb, or doodlebug, after the noisy flying characteristics of beetles, such as the European cockchafer. Other than the flapping shutter valves in the intake, the engine had no moving parts and could be run while stationary. It was started by using compressed air to induce airflow and acetylene as fuel. Once it reached its operating temperature, the engine became self-sustaining and the external hose connectors could be removed. Two versions of the FI-103 were developed, one guided by a pilot, the R version, and one that was to become the V1, which was fitted with a rudimentary autopilot. The R version, codenamed Rickenberg, had several operational versions, all of which were basically suicide bombs. During the development of the piloted versions, test pilots were dying just trying to land the aircraft and Hannah Reach was asked to make some flights to establish the cause. I talked about this Nazi test pilot in an earlier plane tale from APG 217, the woman who flew the V-1. She discovered that the Reichenberg had a remarkably high stall speed and the previous pilots, without high-speed flight experience, had tried to approach and land too slowly. 
The Reichenbergs were launched from the air, either by towing them up or mounting them piggyback fashion on a mother aircraft such as the jet-powered Arado AR-234 jet bomber. But with the success of the V-1, the manned versions never went into full production. The V-1, however, was launched from a steam-powered ramp known as a Dampfersuga. Later versions used a rocket system powered by hydrogen peroxide and potassium permanganate. The V-1's guidance system was a crude autopilot, which regulated the aircraft's altitude and speed. It was first designed to be used as a precision radio-controlled weapon, launched and guided by a bomber, but the Nazi government decided, instead, to use it as an area weapon against London. A weighted pendulum system provided fore and aft attitude control, with fluctuations damped by a stabilizing gyro compass tied to a magnetic compass. The power for the gyroscope and the flight controls came from a pair of large compressed air tanks charged to 150 atmospheres. The missile made do with just elevators and a rudder for control. On the nose of the V-1 was a small propeller, which turned a counter that had been preset before launch, taking into account the distance and the wind conditions between the launch position and the target, London. Every 30 revolutions of the propeller counted down one digit until it reached zero. This armed the warhead and detonated two explosive bolts. The first sprung spoilers on the wings and the elevator into the airflow, whilst the second jammed the elevator link and cut power to the rudder, fixing it neutral. The result was to put the V-1 into a steep dive. Initially, it had an accuracy that put it within a 19-mile diameter circle, but with improvements, this was reduced to just 7 miles. Many thought that it was the motor cutting out that caused the V-1 to come down, but the bomb was designed to enter a power dive with the pulse jet still running. The motor cutout, caused by fuel starvation in the dive, gave warning of the impending explosion and allowed people time to take cover. In the mind of its Nazi creators, this was far from ideal and was soon fixed so that by the end of the V-1's reign of terror, they were arriving almost unannounced. On a Friday in July 1944, a V-1 bomb exploded in front of the clock tower in Lewisham High Street in the middle of a bustling market. The market stalls lined up outside Marks and Spencers, Woolworths and Sainsbury's caught the full force of the blast which came without warning. The bomb had detonated on the roof of a bomb shelter which collapsed. Shops were demolished on both sides of the street and casualties were found in the basement cafe of Woolworths and even on passing buses. The effect of the bomb was strong, damaging property for 600 yards. Dead and injured lay everywhere. The most seriously injured were taken to the nearby Lewisham Hospital, which itself had been hit a few days before, with 70 injured and 3 killed. A month before this, a V-1 bomb hit the Guards' Chapel on Birdcage Walk, not far from Buckingham Palace. It was a Sunday, and a military and civilian congregation had gathered at the Guards' Chapel for morning worship. 
The choir had just started to sing the Eucharist when the engine of a V1 cut out overhead and it nosedived onto the chapel roof. Tons of rubble fell onto the congregation and as the clouds of dust subsided, first aid teams and heavy rescue crews arrived to find a scene of utter devastation. At first the debris appeared impenetrable, The smashed remains of walls and the collapsed roof had trapped dozens. The doors to the chapel were blocked. The only access point for the rescue teams lay behind the altar. Doctors and nurses had to scramble in between the concrete walls to administer morphine and first aid. Several rescuers later recalled that the silver altar cross had been untouched by the blast and candles on the altar continued to burn. 121 soldiers and civilians were killed and 141 others were seriously injured. The death toll included the officiating chaplain, several senior British Army officers and a US Army colonel. Countermeasures were taken to defeat the threat in layers of defence. One was a line of advanced radar-laid anti-aircraft guns, but the V-1 was a small target. However, by the end, the gun belt was accounting for over 50% of the attacks. Barrage balloons were flown, but the Germans fitted cable cutters to the V-1's wings and fewer than 300 were ultimately brought down. Only the fastest fighters stood a chance of catching the jet-powered flying bombs, and attacking them was a risky business, since the fighter stood a good chance of being brought down by the explosion, should they succeed in hitting one. When Commander Roly Beaumont described an attack, he fired a long burst and was left inside a huge fireball of black smoke, flames and twisted steel. His tempest was rocking and bucking in the heart of the blast and he was thrown violently into the side of the cockpit. When he finally shot through into the light, he saw that his uniform was smoking as flames had licked through into the cockpit and singed his clothes, but luckily he was unhurt. The best fighters to use were the Tempest, modified Thunderbolts, P-51 Mustangs, Griffin-powered Spitfires and the wonderful wooden Mosquito. In addition, radar-equipped Wellington bombers were used as airborne early warning aircraft. Aware of the dangers of trying to shoot the V-1s down, some pilots chose to use the turbulence from their wingtips to topple the autopilot within the flying bomb, whereupon it would spiral into the ground. Even German intelligence was fed misleading target information through double agents in the hope that they would adjust their aiming data and cause the bombs to fall short of the city. As a result, a great number of V1s failed to reach London. At the correct range they had been applied, the casualties might have risen by 50% or more. Because of its limited range, the V-1 had to be launched from near the North French coast and the beginning of the end for the weapon came after Allied troops invaded mainland Europe and overran the launch sites. As the Germans retreated, they chose other targets such as Antwerp in Belgium. In addition, Allied bombers attacked launch ramps as soon as they were discovered and the last V-1 to fall on England was on the 29th of March 1945. 
Over 9,000 of these indiscriminate terror weapons were fired at London over a 10-month period and 2,419 reached their target, causing almost 23,000 casualties with over a million buildings damaged or destroyed. At their peak, there were more than 100 launches per day. Although many were destroyed or failed en route, the weapon did enormous damage to the city. However, impressed with the concept, the United States reverse-engineered the V-1 and Republic Ford built a version known as the JB-2 Loon. They planned to employ the Loon against Japan during the expected invasion, Operation Downfall, but the Japanese surrender obviated the need for its use. When I saw one, in bright yellow and sporting USAF markings at the Udvahezi Air and Space Museum at Dallas, I have to say, it sent shivers down my back. 